Well, you know, Charles, I go around campuses, I go around the country, I give a talk called Santa Claus, the Tooth Fairy and Net Zero 2050, because they are all the same. There's no way we're going to have zero carbon emissions in 2050. My guest today is Diana Furchgott Roth. Diana served as Deputy Assistant Secretary for Research and Technology at the U.S. Department of Transportation. She's also served in the White House under U.S. Presidents Ronald Reagan, George H.W. Bush, and George W. Bush. One of the very first things President Joe Biden did on his first day in office was to cancel the Keystone XL pipeline. This wasn't an accident. The Democrats and their environmental allies didn't like the pipeline. I recently sat down with Diana, and she shared with me how this doesn't make much sense because pipelines create thousands of construction jobs and move large amounts of needed oil and gas from Canada to refineries in the U.S. We also discuss how pipelines are the most efficient, most environmentally friendly, and safest transportation method possible. Dana, thanks so much for coming on the show. I greatly appreciate it. I was looking forward to, since we spoke last week about pipelines, there was so much I don't know about them, and I'm so glad I got an expert and someone who really knows a lot about them. It's great to be with you, Charles. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Okay. Pipelines are just so important in energy development. Yeah, you know, there's something that uh, that would interest me most was the first thing, one of the, I think was the first or one of the first things that President Biden did on his first day in office, I think it was an executive order, if I'm not mistaken? Yes. Okay. Where he canceled the Keystone XL pipeline. First of all, right. I want you to explain to me like I'm a five-year-old, what is a pipeline? Why is it so important? And then I want you to share with me, why did he cancel it? Well, pipelines are so important because they bring oil and natural gas from where they're produced to where they're needed to be used. So we have vast reserves of oil and natural gas in the Permian Basin in Texas, but we don't all live in Texas. We have vast reserves in the Bakken in North Dakota, but we don't all live in North Dakota. And we have vast resources in Pennsylvania, the Marcellus Shale, but we don't all live in Pennsylvania. So the object of pipelines is to bring the oil and natural gas from where they are produced to where we need to use them. And it's just really interesting, Charles, that when pipelines are prohibited, for example, they're prohibited from going through parts of New York State, then you can't get the oil and natural gas from the Marcellus Shale in Pennsylvania to people in New England who need it. So you find that their costs of heating are much higher. And until the Russian-Ukrainian war, New England was actually fueled by Russian tankers uh, in uh, along the ports on the east coast in New England, because mm. we didn't have the pipelines to get our production up there. And it's become even more important because of what's going on in Russia, stopping the uh, natural gas flows to Europe. Now they want to buy our natural gas and they want to buy our oil. And it used to be that pipelines flowed inwards. In other words, we would have tankers stop at that east and west coast and then the pipelines would bring oil and natural gas inward because we were importing it. Now we're exporting it. So the flows of these pipelines have got reversed. Now they come from the inside of the country to the outside of the country. And we have become a net oil and natural gas exporter. 
So how, how many miles of pipeline are there in the United States? Oh, there's, uh, I don't have that number right offhand, but there's basically millions of miles of pipelines. Wow. There's not just the pipelines that go from the oil and natural gas fields, but there's also uh, miles of what's called distribution pipeline. In other words, the natural gas pipelines that get gas to your house to power your gas stove, if they're going to let you keep your gas stove. So yeah. there's millions of miles of pipelines in the United States. And that's the safest way of carrying oil and natural gas because the pipeline stays still and the product moves through the pipeline. Unlike with a truck or train where the container moves and the product stays inside it. Now I have to say trains and trucks for carrying oil and natural gas are also safe, but the very safest is pipelines. So. For example, I'm in New York, I'm in New York City, and you said New York State doesn't have pipelines. Pipelines are not allowed to go through New York? It's really, really fascinating, Charles, that the Marcellus Shale is actually on both sides of the Pennsylvania-New York border. It's south into Pennsylvania from that New York border and north into New York State. But New York State not only has prohibited pipelines, it's also prohibited fracking, even though residents of upper New York State would like to have the fracking because they want the income. And you can see that development in Pennsylvania and economic growth is much higher than the development in New York State uh, because New Yorkers are not allowed to use their share of the Marcellus shale. Mm. So yes, it's not just pipelines that are limited in New York State, it's also the production of all, all the oil and natural gas that you have in the Marcellus. Well, wow. so, so th without these pipelines coming into New York, for example, you're telling me my gas is my gas and and, and uh, oil is being transported by truck or train. Uh, truck or train, or before it used to be transported by tanker from places such as Russia, and that these tankers would dock in the harbors and they would provide the oil for heating systems in the Northeast. So without knowing much, it just seems to be much more price efficient to have pipelines rather than trucks or trains. Am, am I off on that? Oh, no, it's much, much more efficient. But there are these people who are against pipelines. They're against developing the share of the Marcellus Shell that's in New York State. So they would rather people had higher heating and electricity bills rather than allowing those pipelines to be built, even though the residents of New York especially the upstate residents in New York, would like those pipelines and they would like the economic development that comes with those pipelines. So just talk about the CO2 emissions. Uh, pipeline seems to be much lower than trucks or trains transporting this. Uh, I just don't get it. Yes, yes, that's right. The, it, it, it would have lower, lower CO2 emissions. But there are people who are focused on what they call the transition to net zero 2050. So they think that we are involved in a transition to zero fossil fuels and that building pipelines and building an infrastructure that allows us to be energy independent is going to interfere with this transition to net zero. Well, you know, Charles, I go around campuses, I go around the country, I give a talk called Santa Claus, the Tooth Fairy and Net Zero 2050 because they are all the same. There's no way we're going to have zero 
carbon emissions in 2050. Because even if, let's just imagine, that all of the United States was covered with wind turbines and solar panels, and we could produce all our electricity and power our cars and our homes uh, through these solar panels and wind turbines, we'd still need fossil fuels to build the wind turbines. You cannot build something that's so steel intensive and large and heavy without a dense source of energy. The only way we're going to have emissions-free energy is if we go nuclear. We have more nuclear power plants. And oddly enough, the same people who are against pipelines, the same people who are in favor of what they call net zero 2050, are also against nuclear power, which has carbon-free, dense energy and is very safe. 70% of electricity in France is run through nuclear power. And we have multiple nuclear submarines, none of which has had a major accident. Yeah, I, I forget where I was reading it, uh, that um, there were there are more deaths attributable to people installing solar panels than there have all the nuclear accidents in the United States. Exactly, yes, yes. Uh, but in the absence of uh, a vibrant nuclear power industry, we are going to continue to rely on oil and natural gas. And one wonderful thing about the United States is that we have so much of it. Uh, we have so much of it that in North Dakota, we're actually flaring it. Uh, it's like turning on your gas burner and not heating anything because we don't have the pipelines in order to be able to get it out to the coast to export. But this is becoming more and more important, not just for Americans who want low heating bills and low electricity bills, but also for our allies in Europe that have been dependent on Russia and they want an alternative source to free themselves from Russia because Russia cut off their natural gas and oil supplies, Charles. So they would like to purchase oil and natural gas from us. And thank goodness we have plenty of it. But the downside is that President Biden has an alphabet soup of agencies that are all standing in the way of more pipelines. There's the SEC, there's FERC, there's OCC, there's the Federal Reserve, there's EPA. So the Securities and Exchange Commission, which is supposed to regulate risk for companies, now has a climate officer. They're looking at whether companies are incurring more risks from fossil fuels or carbonization or climate change. So looking at the risks from climate change, that means a company that is producing uh, oil and natural gas or producing pipelines, they immediately get downgraded because it's thought that they have a risk. They have climate risk. And the Office of the Control of the Currency has a climate risk officer called Yue Chen. Uh, she came originally from China. She has her degree from Tsinghua University. And she is responsible for seeing that banks don't have too much climate risk. What does that mean? Banks shouldn't lend for fossil fuel projects. <coughs> that might incur climate risk. So all this means that companies that want to have fossil fuels, uh, pipelines, they face what's called a higher cost of capital. It costs them more to borrow because different organizations, different parts of the US government are trying to make it more difficult for them to borrow money by saying that this their operations contribute to climate change. Do you see what I'm saying, Charles? Yes, yes. So, so, so I want to go back to something you said earlier, is that uh, because they want to go net zero by 2050, 
and therefore do not want to build infrastructure, do not want to put more pipelines. It seems kind of punitive that uh, you're being punished because we don't want you to go that path, even though it could solve a problem today. But if we build it, then we're kind of we're more entrenched. Is that the way I'm reading this? Um, that's their view, yes, that if we build it, then uh, we're more entrenched and we're more entrenched and dependent on fossil fuels. But we're never going to be independent of fossil fuels. I mean, as far as the eye can see, we're going to need natural gas. And one reason that the United States has decreased its carbon emissions by about a thousand million metric tons over the past 15 years is because we've been using more natural gas and it's very clean. Whereas China, on the other hand, has increased its emissions by about 5,000 million metric tons because it's building coal-fired power plants, more and more of these coal-fired power plants, and that's how it's running its economy. That is how it's building the wind turbines and the solar panels that they are sending to us. So you can tell me, how does this decrease global emissions? If we're interested in climate change, we need to look at global emissions and taking our energy production and offshoring it to China not only makes China stronger, but there's more carbon emissions. And these carbon emissions uh, could potentially have an effect on climate change. Moving them from the United States to China is not helpful in the goal of environmentalists of reducing carbon emissions. So, Dana, you make all the sense in the world. Like, I'm just thinking a pipeline, you know, putting running gas and, and, and oil through a through a tube is a lot cheaper. It doesn't move a lot more. It's economical. It seems to be environmentally friendly, but you'll show me how in a minute, if it is or isn't. Uh, then riding on having the possibility of a train derailment or uh, traffic or an accident with a truck or a tank, all of these things. What does the other side say? Because this seems to be a no-brainer. What am I missing? The other, side, the other side says we're always going to have rail and truck, uh, but an investment in pipelines basically means that you want to have a return over many years or many decades, and that's going to lock us into fossil fuels. And if we're transitioning away from fossil fuels, then we don't want to be locked into these fossil fuels. That's what the other side says. And then people like me say we are going to be dependent on these fossil fuels as far as the eye can see. Plus, we don't want to be dependent on China for our wind and solar. We want to be energy independent. Energy independent means using our supplies of oil and natural gas. Okay, but, so but, these are the two different sides. But, Dana, didn't the president say at the State of the Union when he went off script and he said, we're going to need fossil fuel for at least the next decade? Yeah, I know. But it's more than the next decade we're going to need it. Okay, but I mean, if you talk in Japan, they are going to say that we need it, uh, you know, till 2060, 2070. Okay, but, but, but how, does that, how does that jive with the rest of the argument of, of being net zero by 2050 or even earlier than that, you know, just transitioning away from fossil fuel? The president came out and said against all of his policymakers and his, and his party and all the green energy people that this is just aspirational. It's not really going to happen and said we need we will need fossil fuel so uh, why aren't we building the most efficient means of transportation now to solve a problem now and over the next three to six years instead of 
it seems like we're being punished. It's like, you're a naughty boy. You can't use it. We're not going to let you do it, even though we know it's good. We can't because we don't want you to become dependent on it. Is that the logic of this? Well, that that's basically their logic. It's not logical, though. And we have the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission doing its best to slow down pipeline approvals. We have the Environmental Protection Agency doing its best to slow down permitting for pipeline approvals. So we're in a very difficult situation. These companies want to build pipelines. And it's not just the pipeline companies. It's the oil and natural gas producers. Because if you produce it, but you can't get it to where it's supposed to go, then its value is a lot lower. That's why the price of oil per barrel is lower in North Dakota than it is in Texas. Mm. That difference is because the people in North Dakota have a hard time getting it out to the coasts where people want to buy. Okay, so if you and I had an oil rig, and we produced oil or natural gas. There are only three p ways we can move this stuff. We can move this commodity. Yeah. We could either move it by pipeline, rail, or road. You're telling right. me they want to move it by rail and road. Let's put that aside for a second. Tell me, is there an environmental risk? Is our pipelines more of an environmental risk of an accident happening than rail or road? Well, there have been leaks in pipelines, but pipeline technology, as with other technology, is getting better all the time. There are now sensors on pipelines so you can see if there's a change in the pressure. And besides, oil is a natural substance. If there's a small amount of leakage from a pipeline, then it can be cleaned up. But the environmental risk is in a leak, but there aren't very many leaks. And you don't find people dying because of uh, pipeline accidents in general, the ones that, that transport oil and uh, natural gas. The accidents tend to be in the distribution systems that go from the main pipeline to people's homes. But uh, in general, the pipelines that transfer oil and natural gas from the oil and gas fields to where people live are extremely safe. And there's a pipeline and hazardous materials administration in the transportation department where I used to work. They are doing fascinating research as to how to see if there is a change in the pressure, they have ultrasound machines that go over the pipelines and that can see if there's a small crack or a pinprick in them. So these are extremely safe. We don't have the case as in Lag Megantique in Quebec uh, about 10 or 15 years ago where there was a train that didn't have its brakes on properly. It rolled backwards into the town in Quebec, uh, caused a fire and killed 47 people. Mm. We don't have accidents like that with pipelines. Well, how about the environment? Is this environmentally better? Well, I would say it's environmentally better because uh, the um, uh, there isn't uh, you don't have to have electricity, carbon emissions uh, to make the trucks or the trains go. So, I mean, I would say that there is a marginal benefit in the pipelines, but plus they're more efficient. You can carry very large volumes at one time. I think that's the main. Okay, but when, uh, I think that's the main argument. The way this works, the way a pipeline works, is that oil or natural gas flows through it. The pipeline yeah. company charges per volume of some sort, right? Right. Okay. And that goes through, and it goes in one tube and out into another tube. How long does it usually take from the two furthest points to get this, to get gas or oil from one point A to point B? Let's use a the furthest 
point, a, two points you could think of in this country? Well, I don't have that uh, exact data on this, but there are people, there are also the constraint isn't on the time it takes, but it's on the availability of liquid natural gas terminals, for example, to export the liquid natural gas to Europe where it's needed. There are applications for these terminals that haven't been filled. Once the pipeline is in place, uh, it's a relatively rapid way of transporting the oil and natural gas. Okay, is, we just need four of these pipelines, and there's a constant flow. Okay, is it quicker to ride a, to have it by train, truck, or pipeline from point? Let's take two points pretty far apart. Which would be the fastest way to get it there? It's fastest to do it by pipeline. Okay, so 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 far, pipelines winning three, three nothing. You tell me environmentally. You told me in terms of spills, leakage. Uh, yeah. You also told me now in terms of price and efficiency. What yeah. what what other advantages are there to pipelines over trains and 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 trucks? Well, uh, the the biggest advantage is that they are underground, and so uh, they basically uh, they they can't connect with other trucks, other trains. They don't go through towns. In general, they're basically buried and they're invisible to most people. Okay, so tell me again why people do not want these and would rather have trucks and trains transport this material throughout the country, causing more CO2, more uh, higher possibility of accidents, uh, traffic, uh, environmental hazards, you name it, over this. I, I, I hear what so you're what saying. They, it what, doesn't make uh, sense. What they say is that by putting in place a permanent type infrastructure that can only be used for natural gas and oil, that's committing us to the use of our fossil fuels. Whereas a truck, if it's not used to transport oil and natural gas, that can be used for something else. A train, it doesn't have oil and natural gas, it can be used to transport something else. So the transition to net zero is easier with trucks and trains because they use for other things whereas pipelines are just used for oil and natural gas. That's right. people's argument for okay. not building them. What they want to do is they want to imagine that in 2050, we are not going to be using any fossil fuels, but that is just a myth. I mean, my colleagues, my former colleague, Mark Mills at the Manhattan Institute, Robert Bryce at Freeop, they have all written extensively about how physically it's impossible for us to have our standard of living uh, without using the oil and natural gas we're using right now. And it's the same, by the way, Charles, in developing countries, in emerging economies, what they need is more oil and natural gas. But in but international aid organizations such as the World Bank don't want to lend for fossil fuel projects. They don't want these emerging economies to come up to the level of the West. So they just want to lend for hydropower, wind and solar rather than lending for coal-fired power plants, natural gas, oil because they say that this will interfere with the transition to net zero. I'm just flabbergasted. I've asked you the same question in 14 different formats, and you haven't blinked, and you give me the same answer. And uh, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to say I must be missing something. We, I always try oh, to no, say you're not missing. You're not missing anything, Charles. It's the other people who are missing it. And plus, there's a, uh, you know, the view about China getting more belligerent, uh, potentially attacking Taiwan, Lack of pipeline construction is making China stronger and America weaker because it's using more of China's resources. 
So China is getting all this business exporting wind uh, turbines and solar panels to the United States. Uh, seven out of the largest wind turbine manufacturers, seven of the largest solar power panel manufacturers are in China. So we're basically making China rich and impoverishing, and impoverishing ourselves by not having this system of pipelines and using our own resources. You know, back in the 1970s, President Nixon said he wanted us to be energy independent. He didn't know then that we are sitting on one of the largest reserves of oil and natural gas in the entire world. Now we are energy independent. What are we doing now? Giving away our energy independence to China. That is no friend of ours right now. So we're we're finally going to be free or free. We were free for a while in 2018. I think we're a net uh, exporter of uh, energy. Uh, we gave up OPEC and replaced it with China. And that's what some people want. I don't think it's ever going to happen in practice, but that's what some people want. And the thing about China is that it has uh, lower energy costs because it doesn't stick to any of the rules we have in the United right. States. And they're building multiple coal-fired power plants every week. So they use coal-fired power, which is less expensive than wind and solar, uh, or even our restricted, uh, regulated sources of fossil fuels. Uh, so they have cheaper energy. They have cheaper capital because their government subsidizes capital to its favorite industries, such as CATL, the battery plant that's just opening up in Michigan. And it has cheaper labor because they can use forced labor from Xinjiang. They can use these Uyghurs who are in concentration camps to make the wind turbines and solar panels. So basically for them, they have much lower costs along capital, energy, and labor. And they're taking advantage of us. Doesn't the other and it's only our regulations here in the United States that are preventing our companies from doing the business that they want to do and producing the energy that our country needs. So this seems to be an unforced error by the United States. Well, I don't know if it's unforced. This is a deliberate error. This is a deliberate decision. As you said, it was on day one that President Biden said he was going to cancel the Keystone XL pipeline. By the way, uh, over the past year, he's gone to Saudi Arabia, he's gone to Venezuela, he's asked them to produce more oil. But our friend Canada, that has the same kind of oil as Venezuela, known as heavy crude, which could be brought down to be refined in our refineries uh, here and turned into gasoline and heating oil. He doesn't want to purchase it from our friends in Canada. You know, when he said that uh, we needed more oil and he was calling Venezuela, calling Saudi Arabia, I called Jason Kenney, who was then premier of Alberta in Canada. I said, Jason, has President Biden called you asking you for oil? And he said, no, he hasn't. But that Canada could send down right away an extra 250,000 barrels a day uh, that we could be using and refining. And if the Keystone XL pipeline were approved, he could be sending 450,000 barrels a day. So they have the oil. Why don't we go to our friend in Canada to get it and get this pipeline approved? because North America is the perfect oil platform, Charles, because the heavy crude that's produced in Canada matches up with our refineries and our refineries turn it in to the gasoline and the heating oil. They have the heavy crude, we have the refineries and there's a free trade agreement between our countries. So it's the perfect match. So I don't see what's holding that back. Why are we going to Venezuela to buy the crude? Well, the, 
because of well the the president just hasn't asked canada point one and second he ended the keystone xl pipeline so but can't you didn't you mention did you mention that we could get at least 250,000 uh, a day? No, he said he could. Jason Kenney said he could send us an extra 250,000 barrels a day, but he was not asked. Okay, but President wait. President Biden did not call him. Hang on to that. Hang on to that. We could send 250 now if he just placed a phone call. Is that right? Yeah, that's okay. right. Okay. Maybe he doesn't have this guy's number. Tell, tell me why well, are we... I'm sure the State Department does, somewhere in the State Department. It's a very large bureaucracy. So why are, someone must have Jason Kenney's number. Okay, why doesn't Jason call the United States, call Biden and say, we'll give you, why are you shopping in Venezuela and why are you going to beg Saudi Arabia? Explain that to me as an American who pays taxes, who lives in this yeah. country and is trying to figure out why our government is doing something so asinine as going to dictators and monarchies uh, on the other side of the world and in hostile places. Why aren't we buying, why are we getting supplemented by why are we, this extra 250 forget about the keystone pipeline why are we getting 250,000 barrels a day from canada because he didn't call well well yeah yes i mean we we could have and in fact last week i spoke to a meeting of canadian uh parliamentarians they came down to washington to visit and they fully agree that they could be supplying more oil to the united states than they are right now why aren't they but, you're telling me it's just a phone call uh, there has to be yeah. more to this, Dan. I, oh, yeah, I, I, yeah. President Biden wants to buy oil from Venezuela and Saudi Arabia. He hasn't approached Canada about buying any more oil. What's the logic of that? Tell me, do they have a better deal? Well, there isn't any logic. As far as I'm concerned, there's no logic. There's no logic at all. And our senators and our Congress people, well, what, what are they saying when they hear this stupidity? I'm not sure if they're aware of it, if they focused on this. I'm, I mean, I hope they have, but I'm not sure if they have focused on it. But have you noticed, Charles, that we seem to be treating our friends worse than our enemies in well, some ways? We did a great job in the Middle East with our friends. Um, I guess we're going right, to keep exactly. doing it. So I think Iran got treated yet. better than, than, than our allies. Right. This is yet another example. Venezuela's friends with China, and uh, we shouldn't be doing business with them. We're not only doing business with with Venezuela, but we're we're giving the keys to the kingdom to China. They're, we're we're asking them to take over, even if renewable energy is possible, the source for all of the material and all the supplies are coming from China. It it, it just boggles my mind. Exactly, and this week the Environmental Protection Agency is going to come up with another set of rules to make it even more important for Americans to buy electric cars, or to put it. Uh, more precisely, for uh, car companies to produce electric cars. And these electric cars are all run with batteries, most of which come from China. So it's not just the wind turbines and the solar panels. It's also the electric batteries from the vehicles. Okay, Those that's... come from China, too. That's... And uh, China has a lock on a lot of the minerals. It has a lot of lithium in China. It's bought up a lot of cobalt from the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And this major battery producer, the largest in the world, called CATL, uh, that Governor Yunkin of Virginia said he was not going to have in Virginia. But Michigan said it was happy to have that Chinese-operated battery company. It's owned by Ford, but operated by the Chinese. So this gives our tax credits to the Chinese, part of our tax credits for battery plants to the Chinese. So, Dana, you're, you're, you're an intelligent woman. I'm listening to you. You had me sold after the first three minutes. I'm saying I must be missing something. I must not understand it. 
but you laid out the argument. I, I'm trying to see, I'm doing my best to try to see the other side of the argument. I fail to see that. When you speak and you speak to, you're at the Heritage Foundation or uh, please? Okay. When you write p papers and you speak to, to people in power, how do they react to what you say? Are they as, as infuriated as I am? Oh, yeah, many of them are. And when I explain it to people, they totally understand. And when I tell them, Charles, that in Wyoming, there's only 510 registered electric vehicles and similar numbers in Alaska, North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota. And yet the federal government is spending 25 million for each of these states to put electric charging stations in. That doesn't make any sense either. Now, I'm sure all you and all of our listeners have woken up to a dead battery because of the cold. Well, in these very cold states, these electric batteries lose 20 to 40% of their range. So uh, they have to be charged up even more often. And that's why people in Wyoming only buy 510 electric vehicles. Now, when the Department of Transportation wanted to put in the electric charging stations in Wyoming, the governor of Wyoming said, could you put them in near our tourist areas? in Yellowstone and Grand Teton mm. National Parks, because we have tourists visit in their Teslas and Hummers. What do you think the transportation department said? No, they were gonna put them over the whole state. They couldn't concentrate them in that particular area. And then Wyoming said, could we waive the rule that the electric charging stations are within a mile of the highway? Because we have gas stations that are further away than a mile. And we wanna put the electric charging stations where the gas stations are. That way, someone can go to a convenience store, they can use the bathroom, they can go to a restaurant. Guess what the transportation department said? No, we have to put them within a mile. So Wyoming said, well, we're just not going to take these electric charging stations. We're going to turn down the 25 million. We're not going to accept the charging stations because we don't need charging stations just out in the middle of nowhere where no one's going to use them. And we, the state, will be responsible for maintaining them. That's going to be an additional cost on the taxpayers of Wyoming for no reason, because electric vehicles don't make sense in many cold environments. I think Alaska has 1,200 electric vehicles. The distances are much larger. The batteries lose range because of the cold. And you need gasoline, which brings us back to the pipelines. We need to be using, producing this gasoline uh, for certain areas and certain functions where electric batteries don't work. But the Biden administration is focusing on electric vehicles, and there's going to be another EPA rule, proposed rule, come out uh, later in April that's going to be trying to incentivize these car companies to produce even more electric vehicles that people don't want to buy. Remember, last year, Americans bought 95% of the vehicles Americans bought had an engine in them. Only 5% were battery-powered electric. Wow. Well, I didn't think. I think I thought it was less than five, but uh, I guess I, it was a three. It was five last year. Yeah, it was a three percent of all vehicles on the road are, are electric, or that's moving up to five. Oh well, no, this was sales. I'm sure oh. it's right that you are three percent, but uh, of of the vehicles purchased so in 2021, only five percent were electric. Wow, wow. So Dana, and that's and that's with all these tax credits, by the way, yeah. and that's with. Uh, these auto companies raising the prices of their SUVs and pickup trucks and using that money to subsidize the electric vehicles to try to persuade people to buy them. And when they can't persuade people to buy them, they have to purchase credits because they mm. haven't sold enough. They purchase credits from Tesla. 
So Tesla is not just a car company. It's a credit selling company. They sell the credits to these other companies because the other companies haven't sold enough electric vehicles. So Dana, how do you see this? I don't know if it's malice or incompetence, but I, I don't know. You can could, make your pick. But all I know is the system does not make sense. It could be both. It could be, could uh, be. you know, uh, how, how do you see this all playing out? What, what's the end game here? Oh, I mean, I see it as just a huge waste of money, Charles. I see the electric vehicles as the biggest bubble since Dutch tulips. <laughs> We're putting all this money into it, but they're just not practical. They're not practical in the cold. They're not practical for a family uh, that wants to take kids on vacation and that doesn't want to wait 45 minutes to charge up its electric battery. It's not practical for a family like mine, for example, that regularly drove down to South Carolina an eight or 10 hour trip with six kids, you know, six bicycles, two dogs, all in a Chevy Express van. doesn't make any sense having to wait 45 minutes to charge up a vehicle. So people aren't going to want them. Well, uh, what people actually like to buy are these hybrids, not the plug-in hybrids, the others, because then the mechanisms of the engine charge the battery and you get much higher fuel efficiency because you're partly going on battery, partly going on your internal combustion engine. And you can always uh, put more gas in your car and you never worry about what's called range anxiety, just running out of range for your car. Last question for you, because uh, it, 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 the more I speak to you, the more I, I realize that this is we're in a situation here which gets stupider as 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 the day goes on, because uh, we have the solution in front of us, and we keep finding ways in order to not only block the solution but to create a bigger problem and just kick the can down the road and create a bigger problem to a bigger problem. So you know, I even think about the EV charging stations, which is a joke. Uh, and yeah. it, it just comes, it gets stupider and stupider. So my last question to you is this, is it going to be a change in the Oval Office, in Congress, in the Senate between, I don't even know if it's Democrat or Republican. I don't even know at this point. It's, 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 there's so much money being sloshed around that who knows where anyone really stands, but, uh, how, how does it end? How does this end? We keep doing the stupidity for another, what, two years, four years, six years? Uh, well, well, the next Republican administration is going to try and pause or reverse these rules on electric vehicles and is going to try to promote more pipelines and better use of oil and natural gas. And I think when people's electricity bills and gasoline bills have gone up enough, they're going to be incentivized to vote for another party. Uh, assuming the Republican Party doesn't do other stupid things that alienate uh, consumers in other ways. But, I mean, all things being equal in terms of energy bills, electricity bills, uh, then we need a change in government to have a change in our environmental and energy policy. Well, all I know is I, this this winter, and we had a mild winter uh, in New York, uh, my energy bills, my electric bill, my gas bill, which I never thought much of, uh, I think close went, went up almost double. It just, uh, it, it, I'm looking at, you know, I, I think my, my, my electric bill is almost this, what I paid initially for my, uh, my apartment, meaning the whole rent, not just the, right. that part. It, it's absolutely staggering. Right. Well, it's because connecting these wind turbines and solar panels with the grid is very expensive. And each wind, wind farm has to have a backup natural gas power plant for when the natural gas kicks in when the wind stops blowing. 
And it's more expensive running that natural gas power plant cycling on and off than it would be to run it continuously. <laughs> That's why your electricity bills are going up. But well, don't you feel good using more wind and solar though, Charles? Yeah. That's what they think. They think that Charles is going to feel good using more wind and solar, so he's not going to mind about the high electricity. You know, I want to, I want to do confess that before I, I met Mark Mills, uh, I had him on the show last April, almost a, year, a little more than a year ago, I had just uh, leased a Tesla and I got rid of a gas car and uh, a Volvo. And then my lease went up, uh, my second car went up, and I got another Tesla. And then the more I kept learning about this, I got, my gosh, what did I do? Forget about the fact that I'm just, um, um, you know, electricity. Where does electricity come from? Fairy dust? Uh, the fact of cobalt in the Congo. 80% of all the mines are owned by the Chinese. Uh, slave labor, artisanal labor, whatever they call, want to call it, mining. Uh, lithium. Uh, 17 uh, critical minerals are none in the United States. We're not even opening mines in the United States. We're just, as you mentioned, we, we continually feed China. And I said, what did I do? What did I do? I, 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 I was sold a bill of goods. And really, I wasn't sold. I, I, I bought into the story. Well, I mean, for someone who can charge up the Tesla at home in a garage and doesn't have to drive very far to work, it does make sense. But for people who... I have to go long distances where there are no electric charging stations. It makes less sense. You know, they say that Mao and Stalin like people to go in trains because that way they could track where they went. If the federal government's putting the electric charging stations out, they can track where people go because people can only go in their electric vehicles where the charging stations are. Wow. Can't they do it with gas stations now? Can't they? Or they, they can't... Gas stations are all independent. The federal government isn't putting up any gas stations. They haven't had to because everybody wants to buy gasoline-powered cars. Wow. And so these gas stations, you know, even have supermarkets putting in gas pumps. Wow, so you're not giving the me federal a... government has never had to put in place one single gasoline pump. So now you give me another reason to stay up at night. Wow, thank you, Diana. <laughs> wow, that's, that's astounding. That's astounding. All right, uh, Diana, where, where can my listeners find you? Uh, my website is dianafr.com, or they can find me on the heritage.org website. Wow, fantastic. Diana, keep, uh, I don't know, it must be disheartening to go and speak to intelligent people. And, uh, um, well, I guess, no, I guess it could be encouraging. You speak to these people, you you enlighten them, right? Uh, uh, oh, once I, well, uh, once, I mean, frequently when I explain it, to them, then they understand. The biggest argument I get back is, yes, but technology will change. By yeah. the time it's 2050, we'll have the technology to put this into practice. So it's a bit like Field of Dreams, you know, build it and, and uh, they will come, uh, regulate it, and the technology will magically appear. But the technology hasn't appeared so far, and it just doesn't seem to make sense with the laws of physics that we can power all of America's electricity uh, with these um, uh, with these renewables. And, you know, young people, they like to charge their phones every night. They use a lot of electricity and they enjoy using electricity. They don't want to cut back. Wow. Wow. Diana, thank you so much for enlightening me and for enlightening our listeners. Uh, all the power to you. Keep fighting the good fight. And, and hopefully um, uh, your intelligence, the way you present, you know, raise your voice. You're very sweet. You're very nice. And and, and you just come out with facts after facts. They, they seem... They seem to be, you can't dispute them. And I'm sitting here trying to think of the other side and I just don't get it. Maybe I'm, I keep saying maybe I'm missing something, but. Uh, um, you're not missing anything, Charles. No, 
And thank you so much for having me on your show and allowing me to talk about these very important issues. Wow, my pleasure. Thank you so much, Daniel. Best of luck to you. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Charles Mizrahi Show. If you're a new listener, welcome. If you've been listening for a while, we're glad to have you back. Either way, we'd love to know what you think of the show. Please leave a review if you listen on Apple Podcasts. Reviews make it easier for others to find the show. You can also see the video of the interview on the Charles Mizrahi Show channel on YouTube.